0: God, we need you. We're desperate for you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm Joel. It's good to be with you this morning. I had to go and grab a bar stool from the back uh, and come and join you because I knew what you were doing out here in terms of worship, and I felt like I was alone back there, uh, and that's what corporate worship is, brothers and sisters in Christ, right, coming together and worshiping with one another, and you're, I, I last night coming back from the game with some friends, I was just ready to get here today and to be able to worship with you, and as we worship today, we get to open up the Word of God to the book of James, we're in a series uh, called Forward Faith, and we're looking at the book of James, and it's a lot of fun to be able to jump into this because today we're doing the last portion of James chapter 2. I'm um, going to do my very best to walk through all of that very, very quickly um, because here in James chapter 2, and, and I do want to go ahead and say this. I want to go ahead and delineate a little bit about what is happening once again with James and Paul. Uh, several people have commented in to me, and they're still struggling, going, okay, what's James really talking about, and what's the difference with Paul? Because Paul is going, all, it's all about faith, salvation, and James is talking about how salvation is all about works. That's actually not what's taking place. And so I want a bit to, to, to speak to you about that, because the entire New Testament teaches, the entirety of it, teaches that we are saved by faith alone. It is by the grace of God, through our faith in him and who he is. It is by grace and through faith. We know this. Paul says that a person can be made right with God by faith. And so we're going to be able to look at that because the struggle is this. Paul has been fighting legalism. Right? It's it's those religious leaders that are all around him. And they're saying, no, this is how you have to do everything no matter what, and you have to have this structure. And so here's Paul. He's stepping into the picture, and he's fighting legalism. James isn't fighting legalism. Uh, James is fighting more of the apathy that can very, very quickly come. when You go, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, and then you live in a certain way, and it's hard to really have zeal for the Lord. So he's fighting that, as we know, as the people of God are being dispersed. We know that, James chapter 1, verse 1. Right, the 12 tribes, the people of God, are being dispersed through persecution, but through other things as well. And so here he is already, already, 20 years after the death of Jesus Christ, maybe 22-ish, already he's fighting apathy. And so as we look at this passage today, I want to challenge you with something. And I want to challenge you to examine your own faith. Here's what Here's what I wrote last night after thinking more and more about this, is that an apathetic – and I know this is probably a run-on, I don't care – an apathetic, calloused faith and legalistic reverence. Now, I'm using that word very intentionally. Legalistic reverence. We sometimes can revere the word reverence. I know I'm using it there the same. There's a reason for it, right? But an apathetic, calloused faith and a legalistic reverence has served to not only distract, but cripple the radical response of faith cultivated and fostered by knowing Jesus as Savior. And that's what James, that's part of what James is addressing. is this legalistic reverence and this notion that, you know what, I, I, yeah, I've already said who Jesus is, and he's going, but your life isn't showing it. To me, he is taking further, expanding upon what Paul is speaking in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 where he tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, but it's a gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good things. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And here comes James stepping into and he's going, yes, that's right, but good works naturally follow and flow from faith. Good works naturally follow and even flow from faith. If you've been inundated, if you've been saturated, if God has penetrated the sin in your life and jumped into your heart, there is this moment when you recognize, even as Pastor Luke was speaking about the offering before, that you know what, nothing is ours anymore. And that's that radical response that we are to have to Christ and to what he's done in our life. Paul's saying you can't work your way to heaven. It takes faith to please God. James is saying you have to have faith to please God, but the only faith that is pleasing to God is one that works, is one that is serving Him. So we always speak about Our, our. Our vision statement, transform followers of Jesus, passionately responding to God, rooted in prayer, and equipping disciples. And we speak about it in those four words, that first word being transformation. And we know that transformation, very similar to sanctification, is what? It's a continual process. We just keep growing. We keep moving toward Christ. We keep learning of his goodness and growing in our understanding of what he has done for us. And as a result of that, there is this desire and this eagerness, a giddiness right to be able to surrender to him and to serve him no matter how difficult no matter how hard as i'm there last night with 111,000 fans plus a few more whatever it is uh, w- first thing i learned very quickly is i did not wear enough clothes yesterday it's the first thing i learned i had a little t-shirt on with a little hoodie very very thin so i went and i spent my kid's savings account on an additional shirt And I threw that thing on, and I'm going into the stadium, and as that place just begins to fill up, and they're yelling, and then that song by some older guy that Boston Red Sox always sings together, what's the name of the song? You know what I'm talking about. Boston Red Sox, who's that old guy? Neil Diamond sings it. Sweet Caroline, thank you very much. And everybody's yelling that out. Sweet Caroline, uh, we got to do it now. Sweet Caroline. And I'm going, man, I wanted to so bad get on the 50-yard line and start preaching to 111,000 people that Jesus loves you. And I wanted them to explode. Right? Even in here to do that, does it, why does it feel awkward when we're serving the Savior of the world? Why? I was so bad, I wanted to run out there and I knew that they would tackle me and take me to prison and then somebody would have to preach today. <laughs> it's the only reason I didn't do it. But James is saying, man, isn't that the response that we should be having if you really understand that faith that Paul is talking about? For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This is Galatians 5, 5 through 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but it's only faith working through love. So here's James chapter 2, verse 14 and following. And he's letting us know that, guys, faith is awesome, but without works, without a response that is appropriate, we know every time God speaks, it demands what? And he's letting us know that if there's no response, it's worthless, it's dead, it's useless, it's no good. He's speaking about that also at the end of chapter 1, talking about worthless religion. And so now here he's doing it again in terms of our faith as a whole, and he's jumping into it. And he says this, he says, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he just jumps in to this passage and he's calling out. Remember, he's writing to believers and so he's writing to us. And he's calling it out, and he's letting them know, listen, God adores you. God loves you. You're all believers. You get it. What Jesus Christ did for you is awesome. It's amazing. He cares for you. But you've got to live it out if you really believe it. That's why I spoke earlier about that, that legalistic reverence that sometimes we have, which is preventing us from ever stepping into the fullness of the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus and demonstrating that in the way that we live every day, the words that we speak on a regular basis. So he's jumping in, and he's going to describe, he's going, in this passage, he's giving us several descriptions of faith. Now, I've been able to speak about this before, but as I even went back to some other stuff, I'm going, man, I just kept, God just kept expanding that in my own heart. And, and so hopefully you can recall a couple of these things, but he is going to lay out these descriptions of faith that he has in this passage. The very first thing he does is in verse 17, he speaks about a dead faith. That's what He, he's, he says, listen, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that save him? If you, if you say to someone, go be warm, be filled, all this stuff, but you don't do anything, it's worth nothing. So also, faith by itself, verse 17, if it does not have works, it's what? It's dead. It's useless. It's worthless. So he's here calling out the fact, dead faith. That's a description of faith that he has. That some of you, hey guys, by the way, if you keep, keep looking at the needs of others, but you don't do anything to truly help them, your faith is dead. So he's calling it out that's his language not my own he's calling this out for them and he doesn't have to look far around to find examples of dead faith Everybody knew that Christians were supposed to care for other people. That's why in the beginning, New Testament church, as soon as that formed, Pentecost, Holy Spirit just jumps in, and thousands and thousands of people are coming to know the Lord, and automatically the people of faith begin selling everything they have. Why? to help care for those, those people who are part of that movement with them. That's what they were doing. I think there was very little measuring of, well, this isn't fair. Don't we love Fair. Very little measuring of, well, this isn't fair. I've worked really hard. Look at all that I have. Why am I going to sell it to help other people? They just simply said, Wow, there's so much need. There's so much stuff happening here. Take it all. Dead faith is the kind that is nothing more than words on your lips. It's a statement of faith without, it's a statement of faith without a lifestyle of faith. It's a statement of faith without a lifestyle of faith. That's what dead faith is. That's the first description that he's calling out here. And yet we know, we know that genuine faith is lived out in each area of our life. It consumes you. It simply consumes you. And one of the things that I saw yesterday, and uh, I love going to the Michigan game. So hear me say, Is this isn't about Michigan. I'm a Georgia fan, right? And, and you can find the same at any college or university you go to. But there was one guy that I saw. Um, he had on the Michigan beanie with the Michigan hoodie pulled up over with the Michigan jacket, leather jacket. I didn't even know they sold. They sell really nice leather jackets with big M's on them, all right? He had Michigan pants on. Who knew that that existed? I don't even want to know other things that he had on that were <laughs> Michigan oriented. There was nothing on him that was covered that didn't say Michigan. And how much of your life doesn't say Jesus? So here's his description of dead faith. And he's going, come on. Another example he has, though, is demonic faith. Another description. Because he speaks about the demons here. Right? Isn't that, he says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So here's this demonic faith. And he throws in this curveball, right? He compares their faith to that of demons. Reminds me, uh, and I'm not going to even go there now because of time, but um, I would encourage you, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. And it addresses that specifically. So here, not only he's got this faith description of dead faith, but also demonic faith, and then he also has worthless or useless faith. That's verse 20 as well. Useless or worthless faith. All right? One of the things I remember, I was in it, uh, a young, young child, and I grew up playing a lot of Monopoly. Anybody played a lot of Monopoly, right? This is, like, we didn't r- really have anything else to do. And so we played a lot of Monopoly, and um, I was really young. I, was, I would always get beat, and I just assumed it was good stuff, man, because I went to the store once, and I walked in, and I wanted to buy some gum. Bazooka? You remember Bazooka? It's the best. Um, I don't even know if they make this stuff anymore. I went and grabbed some and I handed the cashier a 20 from Monopoly. (laughs) She didn't take it. But she gave me the gum, not knowing that she went to our church. And she called my father later on. And she just thought it was humorous. And then I had a lifelong lesson about this isn't real money. It wasn't any good. Some of us have a dead faith, a demonic faith, and it's actually worthless, it's useless, and we're trying to spend it, and it's no good. There's no real value to it because we don't really believe it because we're still going to live our life the way we want to live our life. We actually encourage that with young people today. Well, they're a teenager. They're supposed to act like an idiot. No. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're submitting all of your life to him automatically. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your career, it doesn't matter where you live, nothing else matters. You can say amen. So here's another description of this useless, worthless faith. And then he jumps in to another description and it's dynamic faith. And he gives us this odd coupling of people. And I want to read through this. It says in verse 21, Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It is a dynamic faith that now he is giving as an example, an illustration. He jumps around and he goes, here's some descriptions for you. You have a dead faith, you have a demonic faith, you have a worthless faith, but let me show you what a... a, A a dynamic faith. Someone who really loves the Lord looks like. And he gives us two examples of people that you probably would never have chosen yourself. Abraham and Rahab. Now if you don't know much about these individuals, I'll give you a little bit of a summary. But I encourage you just to go look it up and learn as much as you can. Because here is Abraham who is still impacting us today. Abraham's obedience to God is still impacting us today. You don't think that your obedience to God matters. It does. And he jumps and he gives this amazing example. This odd couple, Abraham. God promised what? We already know this. God promised Abraham and Sarah that if they followed him, that they would have a child and that he would also, he would be a father of a great nation. And all of a sudden, they're not having children. Until literally, all of a sudden, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old. (laughs) I just had a flash of that conversation with my wife. And here comes Sarah saying, hey, guess what, honey? I'm having a child, right? (laughs) We know that God came and spoke to them and let them know they're having this child. And this child of promise comes. And then God tells Abraham later on something to do. This is absolutely outrageous. To take their only true son and to take him to a mountain as a sacrifice, Isaac, right? And so he goes and he is about to offer him as a sacrifice. To be obedient to God. But then before offering Isaac as that sacrifice, God provides a ram in the thicket. And he goes and he takes it and offers it before God. But Abraham shows this complete submission to God. About the, uh, the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it says that Abraham had enough faith in God that he was sure that God would raise Isaac from the dead if it was necessary, and it resulted in obedience. He was declared righteous. And then you have Rahab. Uh, Rahab was not an Israelite. She was a part of a pagan nation, and she was a prostitute. And here James is using this individual as a powerful example of faith. Now I love this. Here's Abraham, and we think about his faith. He was commended before God as being a righteous man and a friend of God. And now here is Rahab, who is a part of a pagan nation um, that God actually asked the Israelites to go and destroy this nation at one point. She's not wealthy. She was a prostitute. She was financially and even morally and ethically a poor person. But when God commanded that the spies go into the land to scope out what they were going to face in order to conquer it, it was Rahab that was there to help. And recognizes, figures out who they are and helps them to hide and to even escape. And James says that in God's eyes, Rahab was justified by what she did. One of the things I appreciate about this spectrum of Abraham to Rahab is God says, you know what, I can redeem anyone at any time from anything. Astonished by the number of people who don't believe that they can truly be people of faith anymore because earlier in their life They made too many mistakes. It doesn't matter the mistake you've made It doesn't matter the abandonment that you've had in your own life. God loves you. God can redeem you simply come before him And Rahab discovered that personally That you don't have to have a perfect life from the time you were born on not saying that that was Abraham. But it doesn't matter the brokenness. It doesn't matter the despair. It doesn't matter. I can only imagine the anxiety and the stresses of trying to live a life that I cannot comprehend. James runs into the picture and says, here's a woman who recognized who God was and had faith and lived for him. And so I want to share with you three lessons that I pull from. Abraham and Rahab's life of what it is to have dynamic faith. And I'm encouraging you to write these down. Three lessons. First thing that we see from both Abraham and Rahab is that faith is what we've already spoken about with James, but faith is responsive. Faith is responsive. Abraham, his response, even to leave the land of Ur when God said, I want you to get up and go, and he says, where are we going? And he said, God says to him, don't worry about that, just get up and go. And so Abraham, Abram at the time did that very thing. He's also responsive and being obedient to God when he said, I want you to take your only son that I gave you when you're 100 years old, Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice, and he was obedient to that. He was responsive to what God wanted him to do. Even though you know that Abraham didn't understand why God was doing this, sometimes I want to look at God and, and, and say, why are you asking me to do this? And maybe you feel the same way. But faith is responsive. For Rahab, it was also responsive. She saw other people and she responded to what God was wanting. And she took some pretty big risk. Faith is responsive. Also, not only is faith responsive, but number two, faith is radical. Faith is radical. Obedience to faith leads to taking risk in a faithless land. And a dynamic faith that James is speaking about is radical. It is risk-taking. It's willing to do things that we can't imagine otherwise. Faith isn't to be controlled. It is something to submit to. It's radical. And so here's Abraham, and here's Rahab, here's James, and he's running out, and he's saying, let me give you some examples of dynamic faith and, and what that really means. It means that you're going to be responsive to God. It means that you're going to be radical in your faith. And then lastly, faith is real. It's not some fantasy that we have conjured up. it's authentic and it means submission to God and we have to ask ourselves how is God wanting your faith to really take hold and be real to you for some of you and I want you to think I'm going to make some suggestions of how your faith can be lived out in a dynamic way this week I'm going to throw some real life suggestions and I want you to think about which of these God is wanting you to do dynamic faith okay? if you don't have a pen act like you do so I see your hand doing this do you want to have a faith of Abraham or Rahab, yes or no? Yes. Then let's start living a dynamic faith. You're going to pray with your spouse this week, out loud, outside of mealtime. You're going to take your hands, lay it on their heads, and pray for God's anointing on their life. Don't pray to fix them. That's one way. For some of you, it goes back to what Pastor Luke was saying. Maybe. Uh, a real faith for you is actually giving and tithing for a month you're going really guys 10 percent is nothing old testament would be around 30 percent new testament would be everything and you're going well that would be radical don't you know that christmas is coming For some of you, maybe the real faith is you are literally going to go to your neighbor that you've had for 2,700 years and invite them to church and say, will you come hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and how much he loves you? I just gave you the words to say. That's that dynamic faith that we're speaking about living For some of you, maybe it's every day this week, you're going to sit down with your family and just ask one question, what's God teaching you right now? I did that to the guys coming back from the Michigan game last night. I said, okay, tell me, what's God teaching you right now, this month? My response was very simple. God's teaching me the difference between opportunity and distraction, and the difference between the two teaching me. He's growing me. He's stretching me. James, I want to conclude with this thought. Um, and we're going to conclude very different today. I know a lot of times we like to get a song and we're going to get everybody up here and we're going to make the house shake, right? And we're going to yell out. And today I just want him, uh, Pastor Nathan's going to lead you in a song A hymn of the Holy Spirit. He sung it before. And I just want you to sit in it. And if you want to stand and sing it, you can. If you want to kneel, I'd encourage you to kneel when he sings it. Kneeling is a symbolism of submission before God. That's why. You just want to sit there, whatever you want to do. But um, here's why this faith description is so important to me. And it's because of knowing who wrote it. Half-brother of Jesus. James is a half-brother of Jesus, and he is someone who I believe struggled with who Jesus was for quite a while, but I believe that it was in the midst of his final months, especially his final weeks and the final week of his life that James really saw a man that turned from being his brother to his Savior. Right, and so here's James, and he's going, man, here's this guy who I would have told you before is a really good guy. It's worth the journey of following him around. And by the end, he was being killed for his faith that Jesus was so much more than his brother, but that he was the Savior of the world. And for James, that meant that it was worth every single worldly sacrifice. And if you're not willing to give everything to Christ, one, that makes me sad for you. But two, um, it also makes me excited for you. Because I believe one day everyone... I know every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's a simple way of thinking about the book of James. Will you bow, will you confess, will you submit to the Lordship of Jesus in everything you do? Let it radically change your life. This is an invitation for you. And so God, we come before you humbly. We bow before you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. May we surrender in faith. In a dynamic faith. That shows your love for us. Amen.